日本史学習に最高にもってこいのサイトサムライアーカイブスポッドキャストへようこそ美しい自然にあふれてる縄文時代から波乱万丈な幕末まで全時代を網羅して日本史の隅から隅まで一緒に語り合いましょうでは早速日本史の世界へ Okay, welcome back to the、uh, Samurai Archives、uh, podcast.、Uh, and of course, this is、uh, Nate,、uh, one of your regular hosts, along with、uh, Chris. Yep. And、uh, today with us, we have、uh, Joseph from、uh, the website、uh, JapaneseArchaeology.com. Yes. Oh, you, you will remember him from the podcast we did,、uh, the interview of Travis Seifman. We're here, and、uh, what we're going to do today and for the,、uh, for the next、uh, several podcasts. Is just kind of give a basic overview of、uh, Japanese history.、Uh, we, we've gone into some specific topics、uh, recently, mainly focused on the、uh, Sengoku and、uh, the Edo periods. But what we'd like to do is kind of give everybody,、uh, especially the, the readers, or、uh, I'm sorry, listeners、uh, who, who might not have the same、uh, understanding of Japanese history, give them kind of a context for. Where, what do the different time periods are, the major points that occurred during each, and kind of how it all flows together to get to where we end up with in, in Japanese history. So, okay, so、um, for today's episode, we're going to take a look at kind of the earliest days of、uh, Japanese history,、uh, starting with,、uh, I guess, prehistory going up until around. The 500s or so,、uh, just to kind of set a background of where Japan comes from and, and so forth. And then we'll, we'll move on to later periods and later episodes. So, with that. So, today we're going to be talking, we're going to begin with the Paleolithic epoch and go up until the Kofun period. And、uh, put simply, the, the Paleolithic epoch, as you understand from the name, is about the production of、uh, lithics, stone tools. And that brings us up until the Around 12,000、uh, years before present, the beginning of the Jomon period,、uh, when we see the,、um, the advent of pottery in Japan,、uh, long believed to be the oldest pottery in the world,、uh, but we'll go back to that later. We, the the Jomon period then ends around 5th, 4th century BC with the、uh, beginning of the Yayoi period and the importation of continental, continental being Chinese and Korean culture. Wet rice agriculture, the、uh, beginning of social stratification, and that will take us up until around 250 AD, 300 AD, with the beginning of the Kofun period, when we see the building of mass mounded tombs by the ruling elite. That's, that's what we'll cover today.、Uh, I'd like、okay. to begin with the, the Paleolithic. So, in broad strokes, we see four evolutions before, in, the, in the Paleolithic period. We begin with Around、uh, 35,000 to 400,000 years before present, we have、um, chopping hand axes, crude lithics. There's controversy, especially for example, in at the beginning of around 2000, there was、uh, an amateur archaeologist named Fujimura Shinichi, and he was,、uh, he was found to have forged several of his. His findings. I believe the findings that he presented took us back to around 600,000 years before present and, it was, and、uh, completely unattested findings. But、um, I believe it was the Mainichi Shimbun, the Mainichi newspaper, that、uh, ran an expose on him. Some, they had taken photographs and, and he、um, eventually admitted to、uh, forging those findings. So I'd say the,、um, 
the limit would be about 50,000 years before present for for attested lithics. Okay. Let me let me just ask real quickly yeah. just so if I get what you're saying mm-hmm. there it's that there are some of our listeners may if they look around on the internet because you know not necessarily verified etc. If you look out there there may be sources that say up to 600,000 years ago for these findings of, of these lithics, which are stone tools. Stone tools, is yes. Is what we're talking about. However, the person responsible for that, this this amateur archaeologist, was was faking it. Yeah. And in order to gain notoriety and well, so forth. Well, there's great pressure in the archaeological world. He, sure. needed, he wanted to keep his reputation. And there's been other, just recently, um, there was um, forgery involving, um, I believe it was the, the Daigoku Den, there was for, um, forgery involving that. There was also recently um, misappropriation of um, okay. funds for archaeological digs, and and um, it's unfortunate that the uh, the beautiful world of archaeology is tainted by these. So misappropriation. They were just going out and partying. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. I, I normally think of archaeologists taking all their their ill-gotten gains and blowing it in the strip club. <laughs> so how did uh, um, how did he fake his results? He would um, use. Uh, later lithics and bury them in earlier uh, strata. And they weren't uh, doing the, the other, testing of the actual implements to get. Well, them. other archaeologists had looked at they, for example, through typology, they look at uh, a series of several lithic samples and they say it doesn't match. It right. this this doesn't fit right. But he is he has consistently um, put out impressive research. He is consistently finding these ancient unattested lithics. Especially in academia, you, it's difficult to challenge people who have a reputation. A reputation. So he right. built up he built up a false reputation, and based on the false right. reputation, mm-hmm. created false findings. And this isn't and this isn't to cast aspersions on all of his research. Uh, he, I believe, he sure. admitted sure. officially to only planting uh, lithics, and I believe only I want to say two sites. Okay. But they shook the the archaeological world. I can imagine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. To kind of bring it back to what we were talking about, there there may be sources out there that mm-hmm. if our our listeners go and search on the internet that say up to six hundred thousand, depending on whether they're based on this faulty, uh, faked research or not. But what what you know as to be consistent and accepted is about fifty thousand. Well, for example, um, a problem with with dating lithics, and for example, um, for example, pollen as well, is right. you don't know. If it's shimmy down uh, from, um, well, obviously you have you have layers, you have strata, and layers in the ground, in the ground, and layers that are deeper are older, and it's you never know if, for example, um, stone tools or, or pollen has shimmy down into older layers. That's that's a concern. Um, and there's also different types of dating methods. Um, there's also, I mean, was the was the investigation conducted uh, properly? There's a lot right. of different factors in play. There are trustworthy sources that do say 100,000 years ago, uh, 200,000 years ago, but the, the consensus is, at least until um, I believe two or, th- I want to say two or three years ago, the consensus was an upper limit of 30,000 to 50,000 years before present seems to be the, uh, for, for the first lithics. However, in 2009, uh, latter half of 2009, 20 stone artifacts were found in a layer in uh, Shimane Prefecture in Izumo at the uh, Sunabara site, mm-hmm. they were found to date to 120,000 years before present. 
Now, who's to say that uh, some of these Paleolithic people didn't dig a hole and bury their tools to come and find them later, but then never actually went back and got them? Um, you'd have to ask I don't know, someone with more experience in archaeological digs, but... Like an archaeologist? Yeah. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> for example, if, if the stratum is disturbed oh. and you have signs of intrusion, that is often represented in, in the archaeological. So it should be obvious I, I would to imagine. a trained eye, I guess. Well, I, I imagine so. I hope so. I, I would imagine as well that if, if we're talking about, you know, people from that time period digging and placing tools underground or whatever, that they're not digging so far deep that they're going through different archaeological strata. I guess it depends how, how deep how how deep yeah. they're digging in the well, for example the there's the for example the volcanic ash layer the Tachkala low that uh, Tachkala it is forty meters below the present uh, sea level. Oh okay so it's it's and this is, these are, this is really deep then. And and for example you're gonna let's say you dig ten feet down that's really not it, it you obviously would have a discrepancy but I, it wouldn't for example throw off um, this stone lithic is actually from ten thousand years ago, but all, but the, this uh, this uh, improper dating gives us a hundred thousand years ago. It wouldn't be anything that, that extreme. That extreme. Mm. Okay. I, I would also think that it's it's difficult in Japan, being as it's such a, a geologically uh, violent uh, right. country with everything. You know, I mean, you were you were discussing the, the possibility of tools and uh, pollen uh, shimmying, I think is the word that you use. I like <laughs> that. That's the word. word. The, uh, but, but, you know, moving its way down into, into deeper strata, I, I would think that with the amount of earthquakes and, and other geological disturbances that they have, that that would make things a little bit more difficult as well. Yeah, and that, that's attested to, for example, in uh, the Kohun, the, the mounded tombs. They, uh, you will find burial chambers that have, that have cracked in two, that have large cracks uh, in their in their stone ceilings and uh, for example archaeological sites have been have been really have been shaken by by earthquakes I'm not familiar with any um, research done on how earthquakes have directly affected dating but that's something that I think we can look into for another podcast sure as of 2009 the the oldest uh, lithics in Japan are, are believed to be from 120,000 years before present at uh, the Sunabara site in Shimane prefecture in uh, in western Japan they, they are believed to eclipse the tools found previously at Kanedori in uh, Iwate Prefecture in eastern Japan. They were, they were formerly believed to be oldest at around 90,000 years before present. Findings like this, they're not, we, we don't find consistent findings, so you look at a graph and you see, you see outliers as well. Right. And uh, so it's, it is, it's very difficult to, to say anything with certainty. But for example, with these new findings at Sunabara, we have uh, a volcanic ash layer that was produced by uh, an explosion of a, uh, a local volcano, which was Mount, I want to say Sambesan, I, I can't read my writing, but uh, <laughs> the, the layer is from 120,000 to 110,000 years before present. But what, what um, for example, there was uh, some detractors of this say, well, how do you know that this wasn't just natural rock in that layer? Right. And the, the tools themselves the, are quartzite and, and rhyolitic tools. But the layer itself is andesitic, and so we see it's a it's a discrete a discrete finding of, of a different material inside that layer, which attests to man bringing an outside uh, source of, of a lithic, mm. and I think that that, that really strengthens uh, this this finding. If I can just ask you to clarify these these 
findings of these tools and the dating of these to certain particular dates, the 60,000 and the 120,000, what is that? Is that telling us that that's when, is it just simply telling us that's when we know that Japan was populated? What, what is the... Mm -hmm. um, First, for example, um, these, for example, the, the Sunawara finds are dated based on the dating of the volcanic ash layer. So that's what we know that they, these tools were placed, these tools were, were buried in the ground, okay. whether actively or passively, during the time that the layer was dated too. So it doesn't tell us when they were, when they were made. Okay. Um, for example, in, in the more historic periods or even proto-history, for example, Jomon and Yayoi, when typology, when we're able to trust typology more, we see, okay, this pottery form becomes this pottery form becomes this pottery form, or this right. type of microlith becomes this and this. And um, so we're able to have sequences, which the lack of sequences, for the most part, in, in the early Upper Paleolithic, makes this a very difficult topic to really speak about succinctly or with any, any okay. certitude. But for example, we, we, it's fair to say that around, for example, um, 120,000 years ago up until uh, 35,000 years ago, we have um, bands of, of groups, people or peoples, uh, moving through the archipelago, uh, making crude lithics. So around 35,000 years before present, we enter the, uh, the next of the four divisions within uh, lithic technology, within uh, the evolution of, of lithic work in, in the Paleolithic epoch. From, 30, from 35,000 years before present to 14,000 years before present, we see end and side blow flake technology. So we see a gradual improvement in lithic technology. They're now creating sharper implements. They're making uh, implements that will be uh, more efficient at, at um, killing prey, at removing um, uh, hides, at, for example, affixing to a pole and harpooning. Okay. So, if I could just ask, mm -hmm. when you say side blow, yes. is that describing the process of making the tools or how the tools are used? Well, we, at this point we have yet to see what's called the core elongate flake technology, but, um, for example, you, it, it's describing the, the, the production of the lithic itself, side okay. blow meaning through, through blunt force you're creating cutting or scraping tools. Okay, like with a chisel or some sort of other implement, yes. Yes. you are using a side blow to yes. then shape the tool that you're creating. Exactly. Okay. And that takes us up into around 14,000 uh, years before present. We then enter the, we then see the appearance of microblades and pottery, and that brings us into the Jomon period. So around 14 to 13,000 years ago, we, we, we uh, entered the Jomon period, leaving the Paleolithic. The Paleolithic was even, let's, uh, for example, the lithic technology was not as, as advanced as it would become in the, in the next period, the Jomon period, but it's, it's still very vibrant in that, for example, uh, we have evidence of long-distance obsidian trade of up to 150 kilometers by 20,000 years before present. That's specifically the island of Kozujima, and that's off uh, in the Pacific Ocean off of Tokyo. And to get out there, even at, for example, um, marine transgression is when glaciers, for example, you have the Ice Age, and then post-glacial melting, right. and that then you see transgression, meaning that the ocean then starts creeping up onto land and making less land mass and more ocean. When, when, when we go into colder periods, you see the ocean then receding. Right. And even at the lowest point, which I believe was, a hundred, I want to say 120 
to 130, I want to say meters below the present sea level, which is how you would have, for example, mammoths, um, giant deer, and various, ex and even horses, ex um, extinct indigenous large game that they would enter the archipelago during these periods of low sea level. Even even then, the island of Kozu is it's 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 in the middle of the deep ocean. It's it, there's no way that there would have been a land bridge there. So right. we also see um, marine activity. We see travel by primitive boat, okay. um, carved out logs. So the Paleolithic is still a very vibrant uh, period in Japanese history. So we know at that point that that they were building boats and using them to move back and forth between places. It could not have been that they were going by foot at that time. Right, and we also, okay. for example, um, as far as stone tools, we see, and forgive me, I don't speak Korean, but the, the Suyonge type knife or, t or tanged flake point uh, is seen, we see on both sides of the, of the Korea Strait, both in uh, the southeastern Korean Peninsula and the northwestern area of Kyushu. So dynamic population movements. Um, one idea that we need to get away from is of modern borders, of customs agents, of nationalities, people, bands of people moving in and out. For example, in the Yayoi period, we have a, a mass influx of people from the Korean Peninsula. But it's improper to say that the Japanese people then experienced a, a large influx of Koreans. Or Japan uh, was trading with, with China during, for example, this period. That's, I think that then, I'll, I'll bring this up again when we enter the, the Yayoi period, but it's, I think that there's a, a lot of baggage in those terms that we need to get away from. And so um, with that, I'll wrap up the Paleolithic period, and we will enter the Jomon period. Hi, this is Owen Wiseman, the writer and co-creator of the comic book series Samurai's Blood from Image Comics and Benaroya Publishing. Samurai's Blood is an epic tale of love and loss, honor and betrayal, family and vengeance in the best and most realistic traditions of visual storytellers like Akira Kurosawa and Yoji Yamada. The first issue of Samurai's Blood is on shelves now, so check for it at a comic book shop near you. You can also find more information in a free preview at www.samuraisblood.com. Hey everybody, this is Toshiro Mifune, and you're listening to the Samurai Archives Podcast. Hi, my name is Daniel O'Grady, and I'm the creator of the Japanese Castle Explorer website. And if you find yourself on the internet with some moments to spare, I recommend you come and have a look. There's information, pictures and maps of over 130 of Japan's castles. To find us, just enter Japanese Castle Explorer into your favorite search engine. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, so come and say hi. See ya! Okay, so now that we've covered the uh, up until the Jomon, so yes. what, what is, in, in your estimation, what are what do we need to know about the Jomon? What what can you tell us about the Jomon period so that uh, those of us, uh, and I include myself on this, who really don't know a whole lot about it, uh, can get a little bit of an idea and a picture of how it fits into Japanese history. Alright. The Jomon period begins around 12,000 to 10,000 BC and it, it ends around with the advent of the Yayoi period which um, begins around the 5th to 4th century BC. Basically we have it's often, it's often rounded off to a 10,000 year period, okay. characterized 
by uh, the advent of pottery. Okay. So we see pottery, we have circular settlement patterns, so um, villages are built in, in a circle. Hunting through with bows and arrows and uh, dogs as well. Uh, hunting of, of wild boar and other game. The, the dwellings, they're in a circle and they're, they're pit dwellings. Uh, they're often in a square, which is, which, is, um, which is different from the most of the pit dwellings of the next Yayoi period, which are in a circle in the, um, the style of the southern Korean peninsula. Okay. Very heavy reliance on fishing and, um, and products of the sea, for example, shellfish. Even, even um, porpoise and dolphin bones have been found in shell mounds. They were very avid hunters, gatherers, and, and fishers. This economic, the, and what I've just described, and also a great reliance on plant cultivation, which I'll later go into, there's a difference between plant cultivation and agriculture. Okay. And this, this economic base was established by around 7,000 BC. Okay. Sounds like a more, if I'm understanding the difference between this and mm -hmm. what, what came before, is that there were, it was more uh, nomadic, moving around as in the, in the Paleolithic period. Yes. And, then, and then now we have evidence of distinct settlement. Yes. Um, much more sedentary. As, as semi-sedentary? Yes, it's much more sedentary. But we, you still had movement because not only, well, for example, uh, there's, you see, you see far-flung distribution of, of, for example, uh, of ups, like I've said before, obsidian, and that carries through till the, to the Yayoi period as well. Not only through trade, but you see, you see movements of people as well. For example, you'll see um, settlements that are, that are obviously inhabited by um, large groups of people over an extended period of time, but you also see settlements that look like they're just outposts as well. Right. So, w because, and what semi-sedentary means is that they follow the seasons, and they'll, let's say one area, let's say you've exploited an area to, to the brink, you then have to move, you move on, but there is a, there is, a, the Jomon the people are often um, said to be one of the most affluent hunter-gatherers in, mm -hmm. in prehistory, and that's because they, they took um, they they exploited the environment around them. They and I'll get into more of this as I discuss what what they ate. But so the, the Jomon period is broken into into six subdivisions: incipient, initial, early, middle, late, and final. Before entering the the Yayoi period, and the the very end of the final Jomon period is often said to interlap with the beginning of the uh, incipient Yayoi period. And uh, I guess you could say in far northern Japan, the Jomon period actually continued beyond, right. which results in the Epi-Jomon period and then eventually the Satsuma the Satsuma as well, yes. In, both in, in Hokkaido to the north, we have the Epi-Jomon where Jomon continues, and then in, in Okinawa as well. Okinawa was not, for example, um, affected by the introduction, the mass introduction of the Yayoi cultural complex, the uh, wet rice agriculture, Okinawa was not affected, and we don't even know when agriculture is first brought into Okinawa. So Hokkaido and Okinawa are often treated separately. So the, the initial uh, Jomon period begins about 12,000 years before present, uh, at the end of the Upper Paleolithic, so the, the very end of the Paleolithic. We then, oh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the incipient begins 12,000 years before present. We then enter the Initial Jomon at around 9,000 uh, years before present. We then enter uh, early at around 5,000. The middle around, uh, around 4,000 years before present. Late around 3,000. And uh, 
and final around from 2000 until Yayoi. And I realize uh, I'm, I'm droning on about dates here, but come back and, 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 and look at these because um, I will be mostly, when I talk about the Jomon period, using these, these subdivisions instead of dates because, uh, because dating, number one, only gets us so close to, for example, we couldn't say 7,432 years ago this happened. Yeah, archaeological rather, dating isn't nearly as exactly, specific. Exactly, and, and the farther back you get, carbon dating has, has, a wider, um, has a wider range as well. So these subdivisions are preferred when talking about Japanese archaeology. Okay. The, the Jomon period is named, Jomon literally means rope pattern or rope markings. And that describes the uh, the type of pottery that appeared in Japan. The Jomon people would take cord or a stick with cord wrapped around it, and then roll that along the the pottery to press in patterns. And there are hundreds of these patterns that you can make depending on how you how you weave the cord. How you weave the cord basically meaning right. rope. Right. Um, how you weave that. And, uh, or, and it's not only rope markings, but also nail markings as well, shell markings. They, um, before they fired the pottery, they would impress patterns into the pottery, and that's where we get Jomon. And what, what was the purpose of taking a rope or cord and wrapping it around and, and making these patterns? Was it simply decoration, or well, was there question. some other purpose to this? I can't think of any, and I have not read of any practical reasons for for rolling um, cord around pottery. I believe that, um, and not all Jomon pottery does have this. For example, Kyushu does not display Jomon patterns or rope patterns for a majority of Jomon um, pottery that's from Kyushu. <clears throat> and, and for example, Jomon patterns, rope patterns continue in the Tohoku, northeastern Japan, even well into the Yayoi period. Mm. And, and so I, I, the, the, I would have to say that decorative, spiritual, ritual, Especially during in the uh, the middle yayoi, we see the the flowering of Jomon culture. You see the you see amazing three dimensional pottery that's that's so ornate and so impractical that it, it could not have served a day to day use. It must have been ceremonial or some yes something like that. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. In the in the Jomon period, we see increased stability and. Uh, Increased uh, settlement size and scale. I have uh, the beginning of dependence on plants as well, nuts. Um, and I'll get I'll get into this as well because there's a, there's an image of the Jomon period and the Yayoi period. The difference between those being Jomon is hunter hunting and uh, fishing and, and gathering, and Yayoi is agriculture. So there's no plants in the Jomon period, and, and that's not so because the Jomon they relied heavily on on plant cultivation, but but there's no evidence of wet rice agriculture until. Um, beginning around uh, 3,000 years ago, so 1,000 BC, you see, we begin to see, at, well, the, the Yayoi period is often said to begin at 300 BC, but we begin to see carbonized rice grains and pottery and begin to find evidence of, of wet rice agriculture even, of course, these are outliers, but right. they begin to come in uh, around 1,000 BC, and the, the beginning of the Yayoi period is being pushed further and further back. For example, composite fish hooks, and um, blades from composite harpoons found on either side of the Korea Strait uh, have great affinity. They're very similar. And we also find Jomon pottery in the Tong Samdong shell mound near Pusan. So it's not a stretch of the imagination to imagine small groups of wet rice, of, of farmers coming over and, and at experimental level practicing in Kyushu, for example. Wet rice agriculture, that is. Right. 
Now, these early discoveries or, or findings of the carbonized rice mm -hmm. grains and pottery, that, is there a particular location? Like, is it in Kyushu that they're finding this? And, and that also uh, geographically makes sense? Mm -hmm. uh, or, or is it elsewhere as well? What's What's... Wet rice agriculture, the whole Yayoi culture complex, which is basically full-scale wet rice agriculture, uh, the beginning of procurement and production of bronze and iron implements, social stratification, the beginning of um, burial mounds, and uh, movement towards political unification, as long with um, new uh, rituals as well. That whole culture complex of the Yayoi period we see basically enter uh, Kyushu as it is. It's, it's in completed form. For example, we don't see um, agriculture enter Japan in its, in its primitive form. We see a, a finished, basically a finished product appear, a very advanced finished product appear in Kyushu. 5th, 4th century BC is when it, is when it really took off, the agriculture did. Right. And, but within, within 100 years, we, see, uh, we find wet rice patties in northeastern Japan in Aomori. So we have a huge, we just, we have a race across the archipelago. It's, it's like prehistoric cannonball run. Exactly. <laughs> or prehistoric, uh, instead of Johnny Appleseed, Johnny Rice Seed. Johnny Rice Seed. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it enters Kyushu and it, it really, um, the initial, you basically have a short incubation period in Kyushu, but then once you, once about a hundred years have passed, you see it sweep across the, across the archipelago. Um, from southwest to northeast. So in, in the incipient Jomon period, around uh, you know, 13, 12,000 years ago, we see um, and between incipient and the next initial period, we have this increased sedentary lifestyle, plant uh, dependence on plant foods, and I, I guess the, the main difference that I want to bring up between the initial, the, in, the incipient Jomon and the initial Jomon is you move from small-scale settlements, caves, very, very um, limited production and use of pottery, heavy dependence on lithics and hunting tools, and we, we, we don't see many plant processing tools, which are grinding stones or hammer stones or pitted stones, which you would right. use to break nuts open. You move from, from that to a increased number of settlements, uh, population density. It's believed that the circular settlement pattern that characterizes the Jomo period appears at this point around 9,000 years ago. We see a, a huge increase in dependence on plants, evidenced by these grinding stones and pitted stones. Right. And I'd like to, to close the beginning of the Jomon period with, well, we have a warmer climate in, in South Kyushu, and we see um, a very advanced development of Jomon culture there compared with northeastern Japan. And that's, that's a pattern that we'll see throughout Japanese history, and we'll come back to that, especially Yayoi Kofun, and even uh, later in the, uh, in the Asuka period as well. Is that uh, in... Things seem to develop first in Kyushu and then spread from there. It, yeah, it seems to be a, a seedling bed, an incubator, a, a hot box. It really, it's it's also the um, you know it's often like Hakata is often said to be the gateway to Japan. Right, right. Um, Bruce Batten's book is a is a fantastic book that discusses that as well, and we see that even in in Sengoku and, and Edo period as well. Certainly, certainly, and, and just to elaborate, I mean Hakata is the uh, is, is the port on the northern side of Kyushu. It's uh, part of uh, Fukuoka, and you're exactly right, I mean, even as we get into, you know, later periods, that's, that is an entry point for things from the continent to Japan, so. You just described the, the earlier periods of the, the, uh, the earlier sections of the Jomon period. Yes. What, what changed to kind of bring it into the middle and the later 
portions? How did things okay. change as we uh, as we move forward in time there? All right. Well, the the height of of the Jomon period is Middle Jomon, around five to four thousand years uh, before present, and we see uh, a great a great increase in population, which is represented in village distribution and density, and uh, we see um, greatly increased reliance on on the environment as well. For example, in late initial Jomon, we see the use of pit traps. There's different types of pit traps where they would have, uh, for example, stakes or, or posts driven into the bottom. So like like a punji trap. But what's interesting about these is it doesn't seem like they were spiked to kill the prey. It seems like they were just long enough to make it so that the the wild boar could not rest their feet on the bottom and and, and they could not escape, so they were trapped there. This meaning that. The, the boar then would not die and rot as fast. So oh. because they're semi-sedentary, when they finally came around again, the boar, the, the rate of, I don't know, I guess rotting would... would decomposition. Die. Decomposition. They were then able to, to use pit traps. You wouldn't necessarily have to check it daily or, exactly. or, or anything. Which you wouldn't could, be practical. Yeah, you could, you could set it and then come back like even up to a week or so, mm -hmm. uh, and hypothetically it wouldn't have starved to death right. necessarily. Interesting, very interesting. Um, in, in early Jomon, we see, or that's about 5,500 years before present um, at the latest, we see the beginning of for experimental, uh, it's on a basically an experimental basis, we see plant cultivation of, of beans, perilla, gourd, rape, burdock, and hemp. And then we move into late Jomon, around 3,000 years before present, and we see barley and the beginnings of, of, uh, of rice. Right. And so we see, and we also see improvements in composite fish hooks and composite harpoons. There's great technological innovations, but the height of the Jomon period is, is the middle Jomon, and that's when we see the most ritual objects, the most phallic uh, symbols, the most, the Venus figures. The, uh, the famous Jomon figures that have, have the goggles on them. Mm. We see a flourishing of ritual, religion, religion obviously in the broad sense, of travel, of population density. After that, and, and this is tied with environmental factors, after that we see in the, uh, after the middle, after middle Jomon, we then enter late and final, and population dips down, pottery then becomes, it, it goes from being extravagant and 3D and, and just gorgeous, to being refined but technologically very advanced, very well-made pottery. By refined, you mean kind of more restrained in the yes, in and also the production technique was much more advanced okay. as well. And so we see we see a spike in the middle Jomon, and then after the middle Jomon, we decline until we reach uh, the Yayoi period, which we will we will enter now. I, I just want to mention the uh, the Jomon pottery is often said to be the oldest in the world. But uh, in, uh, I believe in, two, I want to say 2009, pottery was found in uh, Yuchanan, in Hunan, I also don't speak Chinese, forgive me, <laughs> in Hunan province, that dates to 17,500 to 18,300 years before present, which um, many um, archaeologists are now viewing that uh, pottery from, from Hunan province, a cave in Hunan, Hunan province, as the oldest pottery now in the world, mm -hmm. supplanting the previous rec uh, record held by the Jomon pottery. The problem with dating pottery is that, obviously, um, radiocarbon dating needs organic material. So, unless you have, uh, for example, nuts or, or anything organic that's been included in the pottery itself, it's difficult right. to date, especially with pottery being, being moved or broken or right. 
shimmy shamming down the layers and sure. So I, I would also think even then, I mean, mm -hmm. just because you find something in it at a certain time period, you know, it can date the organic material. That doesn't necessarily right. tell you that that's when it was made. When it was made, yes. So, but things things are pointing towards perhaps, and and old pottery, very old pottery has also been found in Russia as well. Mm -hmm. So um, it looks like Russia and China are rising as contenders to to the title of oldest pottery in the world. Um, we definitely see wide trade networks. Whether the the pottery, the the materials used in making the pottery, um, whether the provenance um, is local or not, we I need to read a a report on the on the site, but. Okay, well, I guess that takes us to the end of the Jomon period. Yes. Can you kind of give us a little summary of it and uh, um, a, just a little teaser, if you will, on, okay. on how we go and in, transition into the, the next period, the Yayoi period? Mm -hmm. Well, the, the Jomon period, like, like, the, like the Paleolithic epic, is, is vibrant in that you have wide trade networks. We see, we see the, the advent of pottery. We see um, heavy reliance on nuts and... And we see chips, stone axes that are believed to dig up nuts and tubers. I'm sorry, roots and tubers. We need we need to find more evidence of, of root and, and tuber usage, but it's believed that that's what those axes were used for. So it's not simply hunting um, with bows and arrows and dogs, but we, we see um, really a compound usage of the environment, and we see momentum towards heavier and heavier and heavier reliance on, on plants towards the end of the Jomon period. And then we entered the Yayoi period when, with uh, full-scale wet rice agriculture. And this, while I say that the Jomon people were beginning to use more and more um, types of plants and using their environment, um, uh, for example, heavier reliance on, on, sh on fishing and, and shells, and they even would, um, for example, besides hunting game, they would also hunt for example, on the open ocean, tuna. We find tuna and dolphin, which is which I is yeah. that's a, that that was amazing when I when I first found that out because you don't really think of the Jomon people as as seafaring. Um, but but this we but this um, this wet rice agriculture wasn't born out of the Jomon period. It was introduced from the Korean Peninsula. Well, basically um, from China through the Korean Peninsula. We see a huge changes in the archipelago. Specifically, and we'll get into this in the next uh, episode, but we see genetic, we see ritual, we see technological, we see great changes that were put into motion by an influx of immigrants. And, and that's, um, that will eventually lead into social, uh, movement toward, of social stratification and movement towards political unification, eventually leading us into the first Japanese state. Fascinating stuff, and I can't wait to get through a, a, a couple of weeks of these kind of overview podcasts so we can go back we can come back to this and, and kind of go a little bit deeper but uh, for our listeners in the meantime if they want to do some research on their own and, and get some some more detail on what you've been talking about uh, what are your recommendations for where they would go well I think I'll I'll, there's there's four books that I'd like to recommend today that are they're fairly easily accessible. Um, you can get them on Amazon or or a lot many libraries have them as well. Um, Prehistoric Japan: New Perspectives on Insular East Asia by Keiji Imamura. Ruins of Identity: Ethnogenesis in the Japanese Islands by Mark J. Hudson. And I got to put in a plug for that. That's uh, I've been reading that. It's really good. It's an excellent book, and it, it covers the transition from Jomon to Yayoi from. Archeolo an archaeological, linguistic, and um, genetic genetic standpoint. It's mm. it's very comprehensive. 
Next is The Rise of Civilization in East Asia, The Archaeology of China, Korea, and Japan by Gina Barnes. And uh, last, whose uh, lecture I saw back in probably 2007 or so. The last book I'd like to plug today is The Prehistory of Japan by C. Melvin Aikens and Takayasu Higuchi. And it is, this is a, it's a fascinating book. It's extremely well put together, um, heavily illustrated. And uh, it's, it's definitely not as well known as it should be. Because if, I, I only got my hands on this recently, and if I would have had this when I began my studies, things would have been a lot smoother. Because <laughs> there's a lot of information in here that's only available in English in this book. Right. Um, I'll include more um, Japanese language resources as well for those of you who are interested in further research. I'll include those on the on the blog. Okay, fantastic. Well, that takes us through uh, the Paleolithic period and through the Jomon period. Uh, we've we've actually had a lot uh, of information that I, I think will we'll cut the podcast uh, this episode, and we'll come back uh, next week. Uh, right. with a look at the, uh, the Yayoi and uh, the Kofun periods. Uh, so I want to say uh, thank you to uh, Joseph. Uh, he's not really a guest so much as he is uh, uh, a just, co just, just one of the group. But uh, um, Thank you for having me today. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and again, your website, if people are looking to find you, is... Yes, plug yourself. JapaneseArchaeology.com And uh, you can be found on Twitter. I can. Um, there's a link to to my Twitter on, on the on the website as well. And uh, to reach us here at the podcast, you can get us via Gmail at samuraipodcast at gmail.com and where we're easily or reached. On forum, or on the forum. forum or, or yeah. Pretty much uh, just Google Samurai Archives and multitudes of ways you'll find us. So um, with that, I guess we'll close. Uh, we'd love to hear uh, some feedback uh, from our listeners out there. Uh, let us know uh, if you're enjoying it or if, uh, if we've screwed anything up. Please uh, feel free to, to let us know that as well because uh, that always provides interesting points of discussion. And with that... That's, uh, uh, that's what we call a wrap. Yeah. Uh, for everybody here, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.